Wale. You're listening to CITR F1102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And we have on the line right now, hello caller, are you there? Hello caller, are you there, caller? I am here. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Beardo. I'm, I play bass in the Vicious Cycles. And who else is in the Vicious Cycles, Beardo? Uh, in the Vicious Cycles, we've got myself. Uh, we've got Billy Bones on guitar and vocals. Uh, Nick the Knife on guitar. Norman, uh, a.k.a. Norman Motorcycle uh, on keys and theremin. And Ben Frith on drums. And you are, of course, the Vicious Cycles playing tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, but tonight in Victoria. Yeah, it's true. We're just at the ferry terminal right now. We're headed over to play with the Mance and Line Traps. And tomorrow night, you're playing Vancouver. Whereabouts and with who? We are playing the illustrious and storied uh, Smile and Buddha. And uh, we're playing with... Um, Gosh, with territories, uh, some old friends of ours who used to be in a band called Knucklehead, and uh, we're playing with another great punk band called Alien Boys. And right off the top, Beardo, what did I play? Hot dogs in the city. What did people hear? Hot dogs in the city. Uh, Well, you heard a song from what's going to be our new record, going to come out next year. And uh, it's kind of fun because we got to make this whole record with the current lineup of the band. Nick joined on guitar a couple years ago, and uh, 
Ben shortly after him. And so it's been really fun to write songs with those guys and, and to make this album. And that song kind of came out of, you know, playing in Calgary a lot. We play, used to, we would play at a place called uh, the Palomino, but we would always go to the to Tubby Dog afterwards. And Tubby Dog is a really great hot dog bar. And they would always let us in after hours and give us beers and hot dogs and we'd eat French fries and hang out with our friends and the Von Zippers and, and the Mandates and play pinball and yeah, it's good times. So, so we we wrote a song about it, Hot Dogs in the City. And you love Tubby Dog so much, you did a video at What's Up Dog in Vancouver. It, it's true. And uh, when when we get a little closer to to release time, we'll we'll throw that out on the internet. Now. There has been some clips of this video that have surfaced on the internet, oh. and we're speaking again to Beardo of the Vicious Cycles playing tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, yeah. Canada. What exactly is happening there where you jump over some num- nuns? We see that footage, you jumping in a motorbike over oh. some nuns. Yeah, well, it, that was actually a friend of ours, Wilf, and he's dating Norman's daughter, and he... He jumped over three vicious cycles dressed as nuns, and and that that clip and a bunch of other stuff was filmed at a, a motorcycle event called the High Noon Scramble. A bunch of friends of ours in the Filth Mode uh, Motorcycle Club or Dirt Bike Club they uh, they put that together every year, and everyone rips around the sand dunes on on motorbikes, and uh, we set up a jump and laid underneath and had Wilf, had Wilf jump us. That is kind of frightening, isn't it? <laughs> it was, it was pants pooping excitement, Ardwar. Like seriously, like it is really <laughs> scary. It is dangerous. Did you yeah, have to sign any gotta, waivers? Like, oh, seriously, no, that is no. crazy. Well, we, we, we like a little danger. Punk rock should be dangerous, you know? And you did capture it on video. I hope, I hope, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah, you betcha. It is for the video for Hot Dogs in the City. And we are talking to Beardo from the Vicious Cycles. And Beardo, you mentioned Knucklehead from Alberta. Yeah. You, of course, were in a band in Alberta, too. And you did a zine, <laughs> The Spare Brains. The, sp- the Spare Brains. What can you, you say know. about your Alberta time versus your Vancouver time in the Vicious Cycles? Uh, well, you know, I think uh, living in and growing up in Edmonton and and going down and playing in Calgary quite a bit, there's lots of there's lots of great punk rock history out of both of those cities, and and it's always neat to kind of know some of those people and like in the Malibu Cans and uh, Hot Nasties and Rock and Roll Bitches and stuff like that, and and get to know some of those dudes and and like uh, go down and play playing Calgary with uh, our pals in the Von Zippers who were in the stir, you know, Al was in the Sturgeons with Doug and Riot 303 and, and then coming out to, it was great. I mean, I was growing up and, and playing in bands and, and touring a lot in a, mostly in a band called late Tabernacle, a punk rock band. And, and then coming out here, um, it was, a, it was actually a, an interesting sort of like flip of the switch, you know, like I didn't know that many people in Vancouver. And so I called my old buddy, Billy, uh, who had moved out here and, and his band raised by wolves was kind of breaking up and they were starting something new. And so I just kept bugging Billy and said, well, when you need a bass player, let me know. And so they started this band called the vicious cycles and it was a motorcycle club before it was actually a band. And so they, they, you know, I didn't own a motorcycle and, and, uh, 
So they had to take a vote and decide if I was going to be able to join the band or not. But finally, they let me in. So that that started my kicked off my uh, my experience of playing out here. And ten years later, time flies. And also, Beardo from the Vicious Cycles, you have Nick and Ben. Do Nick and Ben have motorbikes? No, but we bought. Uh, have the rules been lessened? Well, we 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 decided to take some band money and and make a really smart investment into a mini bike, a band mini bike. So technically, everyone is a shareholder and and everyone owns a motorcycle. And people love you guys. You have sponsorship. How did you get sponsorship for your band? Uh, <laughs> I honestly don't know. Uh, I think a, a company just liked us. They're called Brixton, and they give us clothes. And, uh, yeah, I think they just dug the band and dig what we do. And I don't know. They don't ask us to do anything. They just tell us to wear their clothes, and we do. We get, we get free stuff. So that's kind of that's nice. Uh, what are their clothes like? Do you use their clothes? I, uh, well, the pants, they've got, like, two legs, typically. Uh, the shirts have got sleeves on them. Ba-boom. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wear them all the time. Yeah. Speaking of Billy, is he around? He is. Uh, I have walked away from the van, but I can walk back towards it if you like. If it would be possible, too. throw him on the blower? Yeah, to have a couple words with Billy from the Vicious Cycles playing tonight in Victoria. And if anybody's listening in Victoria or on the ferry, where are you playing tonight? We're playing tonight at the Upstairs Cabaret. And uh, I actually said before it was Line Traps that's playing, but it's not. It's a band called Bad Parts. Bad parts. And uh, uh, Teeman from Line Traps is actually DJing. And it, in a funny funny turn, which you mentioned earlier, coming from Alberta, Teeman's from Alberta too, and I've known Teeman since I was about four years old. All right, I'm, I'm almost at the van. This is Beardo from the Vicious Cycles in action at the Tuasen Ferry Terminal, right? <laughs> you know it. How is it out there? It's snowy, cold? It's a little chilly. It's a little chilly, not going to lie. A bit of weather report from Beardo, live on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. Hello, Billy. Are you there? Hi, Nardwar. Good. I was just curious, Billy. Beardo was saying he met you, but I was thinking about your past and your history, Billy, of the Fisher Cycles. Where are you from, Penticton? Where are you from, Penticton? Well, I would have met when I lived in Kamloops. Kamloops! But I'm, but I'm from Saskatchewan. What did what bands did you play with in Kamloops that you put gigs on for? Uh, bands that came through, so lots. Because uh, I remember you loved this figurines, don't you? You love yeah. the figurines. Yeah, yeah. Those, that was one of my one of my very first punk rock shows was the Disfigurines and the Smugglers. And it was sold out by the time I got there, and I had to go through the bathroom window to get into the show. What and Grant Lawrence fell off the stage, I remember that. And were you, you weren't putting on that gig. Who was putting on that gig, and what year was that gig, and what years did you put on gigs? Because I knew you did house gigs, right? Yeah, so that show was Cal, or Kelly Black put that one on, and he was in the Disfigurines. And that guy is a really, he's doing really well as a restaurateur in Calgary now. He owns Una Pizza. And he was in the Disfigurines. But I don't remember what year, maybe that was 93 or 94. That was in around 
in those years, I was putting on shows. And Hot Dogs in the City, which we played, is about Tubby Dog. Do you think you'll write a song about a pizza place in Calgary next? Um, I don't know. I, I never know what it's going to be about. It shows up. And really, I wanted to write a, a song about riding around on motorcycles. And, and then I just thought, well, where am I going to ride to? And I thought, let's go get hot dogs. And, and maybe we should ride somewhere where we can play pinball. What other bands played Kamloops? I was just curious. Because I remember when I was through Kamloops, some gig-goers said, we're from Caramels. We are the Caramels crew. And I was like, well, this is pretty cool. They came all the way from the Caramels to see us. Do you remember those guys? Do you remember people traveling all far and wide to come to your gigs? People would come to Kamloops from a pretty long ways away. Todd, that was from the Rebel Spell, he was from somewhere up north, but he would always come into Kamloops to go to gigs, and Desperate Minds were a great punk band from Kamloops. And what gig, where did bands play, and did you put them on in your basement? Where did they play? Sometimes in our basement, um, if there was no halls that would rent to us at the time, and sometimes at the, there was a mental health hall that would rent to us, and an Odd Fellows Hall that would rent to us. And it just depends because there was that Smalls riot and then no one wanted to rent to us because there were cops involved. But yeah, when there wasn't, when no one wanted to rent to us, we'd have bands in our basement. How about nowadays? Are the Vicious Cycles returned to Kamloops? We've been to Kamloops a couple times, but it's probably been a couple years since we've been there. Where do you play? I don't remember where we... Oh, yeah, there's a a, a a cami. There's a bar called the Cami in Kamloops that we've played a couple of times. Yeah, oh, and, and uh, our buddy owns... What's the name of the... the Zach's, Zach's Coffee Shop or, or tea, whatever it is. But our, our buddy owns Zach's, and it's a great place to play. And we are speaking to Billy from the Vicious Cycles, playing tonight in Victoria and tomorrow night in Vancouver at the Smiling Buddha. Have you played the yeah. Buddha before? Have you played no. the Buddha before? No, that's pretty exciting. That place is just the room is legendary. I was watching videos of bands playing the Smiling Buddha last night. And tonight, you were playing in Victoria, and it mentioned you were playing with your Cuban brothers. Is that true? Uh, tonight, I don't think there's any Cubans playing tonight. Tonight, we're playing with the Mants. They're half man, half ant, all action, all the time. And we're playing with a band called Bad Parts. That, uh, Will, who was the drummer from uh, Emergency and the Zip Guns is playing in the band Bad Parts. But you did go to Cuba a couple years ago. Yeah. We had we we went to Cuba, I think we were there for 10 days and just toured around in a school bus and played some amazing shows. Weren't you supposed to go like this year? We were hoping to go this year and we weren't able to make it happen and there was some bad weather, it turned out, uh, in that part of the world. Shut down the airport and that kind of thing too. Is Norman around? Norman's right here. And who is Norman? Could you introduce Norman to the people out there? Okay, so Norman is the reason we made this band. 
because he didn't know how to play any instruments, but we wanted an excuse to hang out with him. So we made this band and, and he got a theremin. And so that's why all the songs are about motorcycles because he is the Reverend Norman Anonymous. And actually he married my wife and myself. So we made him put the, the, his title to use. And, uh, but he's the, the reason why the band is all about motorcycles. So this is Norman. Hello, Norman. Hey, Norman. The Vicious Cycles. Norman, yeah. host, uh, uh, you are quite familiar with CITR. How long did you do a show on CITR? Uh, I want to say 10 years. Maybe maybe not quite 10 years. The like Mo- Motor Psycho Show, right? Motorcycle Radio? Motor Daddy. Motor Daddy. Motor Daddy. Motor Daddy. Yeah. And which, I- uh, which is funny because I got that name. I got the name Motor Daddy when I joined the Estrus Crust Club. They gave you a little card, and they said, Motor Daddy. And then last night, I was down to Southern Culture, and I was hanging out with Dave Kreider, who was Estrus. Well, they gave you the name? Yeah, yeah. They would give you a nickname when you got your little crust card membership. So you and said they, you were Motor Psycho, and they changed it to Motor Daddy? I guess so. I think I might. I don't know. I, I don't know how it happened, but he, he just got it bang on. And Norman, what's the beef you guys had with that London, the VC London Motorcycle <laughs> Club? The girls, you had a beef with girls. Yeah, we had no beef with them. We just, uh, they just took our name. How did that work out? And how did you convince they, them they not to, to take the name? To, they had to change it because they got in trouble from a outlaw motorcycle club over there. So they had to change it. But they're, uh, are they a band, the VC London? No. What is the idea behind them? They were they were like a girl uh, motorcycle club. But you yourself took the name of the band from an actual movie, right? Yeah, from the I, th- I think it's from that that little stop action one you can see on YouTube, right? That is an amazing movie. Could you describe that, please? A vicious cycles movie. It's just like a stop action about a bunch of dudes riding. Invisible motorcycles. Yeah, they're riding themselves. There are no motorbikes. Yeah. What year is that movie made? It looks to be like in the sixties sometime. It, it looks old, but I, I don't think it is. But I, I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, what was Cuba like when you went to Cuba? What were record shops like in Cuba, Norman? I don't think we saw any record shops, did we? Yeah, did we? No, no. Um, yeah, it was awesome though. Every every show we played was full of rad kids just wanting to party. It was super fun. What bands did they know? Like, did they know your band, The Vicious Cycles? How did they know you? Or what bands did they know? And what bands had been there previously? Uh, I'm I don't really know. They didn't know us, but I just I know that we did learn a couple Ramon songs, and then whenever we played the Ramon songs, they went crazy and would would sing along. So, Are, I know that we played there before the Rolling Stones did. Had any bands independently gone and played gigs like you had played in Cuba? Um, again, I don't know. Rob would have been the guy to ask about that kind of stuff. I know a bunch of bands went down with that uh, Solidarity Rock group gang, whatever but I don't know if anybody went independently of them. Are there many old bikes in Cuba? I know there are lots of old cars. What about bikes? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, we, when we went down there, we took a bunch of, like, gear and we left it down there. 
like cymbals and drumsticks and guitars and stuff. But I've I brought down a bunch of like spark plugs and um, gasket sets and motorcycle kind of related stuff and left it down there. But there was one guy that came to a show. He came on like an old Triumph. Uh, he came by when we were setting up, and then he said he was going to come back with his family. And then um, he, he was he came eventually came late, and then he had told us he'd got a flat, and he fixed the flat by finding a condom that was on the road and jamming it in the hole of the tire, and then he blew up his tire and then made it to our show. Amazing! You can see, see the condom sticking out. What bike was he on? Like an old Triumph or something. It was kind of a mismatch of parts. Are there any rare bikes down there, or do they don't have respect for bikes? Well, we had uh, no. We, we our last show we played uh, the uh, Latin American Motorcycle Club showed up, and there's probably like I don't know, thirty, forty guys on bikes, all kinds of bikes, from little fifty cc Russian bikes to old Harleys, old cool vintage Harleys, and everything and anything. Were there bikes you wanted to buy and take back? Yeah. <laughs> Which ones? <laughs> uh, uh, well, those the little Ru- the Russian ones were kind of cool, but the, the guy that had like the old Harley, it was a really, it was a really nice, cool one. So I would have taken that one easy. And tonight, Norman from the Vicious Cycles, yeah. you are playing in Victoria, and tomorrow you're playing at uh, Smiling Buddha. You are also yeah. playing in the future, I see, an auto show. How does that go over, <laughs> the yeah. Vicious Cycles and an auto show? Or is that a joke? No, an auto show? I heard that one. We I played s- a bike show before. That's what I meant. Like, I guess an oh, yeah. auto, yeah, bike show, an auto yeah, show. Yeah, we played played it a few times. I don't think we're play- I don't know if we're playing this year or not, but we played it in the past. Does anybody appreciate that you are, oh. you know, motorbike orientated? The first time we played there it was anarchy. How we did had, how do you describe that? We we had we had uh we were playing and they were having races kind of around us and then uh when the races were over people just kept riding their motorcycles around. And I think the organizers kind of came out and looked and then just kind of went back inside and just left us alone because there was people and motorcycles going everywhere. <laughs> Billy had a wireless mic and he got on the back of someone's bike and was singing while he was driving him around and around. What, what, he, a wireless? What? A wireless microphone? Yeah. So, so he was on the back of some guy's motorcycle racing around in circles singing while we were playing. What was he singing? I can't remember what song it was. Do you remember? I don't remember. Fun fact. James Campbell from the Territories. All right. That's right. He played drums for us on that show. That's right. Right now, we're going to play a couple songs, including Motor Psycho. What can you say about the song Motor Psycho and Don't Need No Dynamite? We're going to play those songs. Where were they recorded? Where were they recorded? Yeah. Uh, they were recorded at uh, Rain City. Jesse Gander recorded us. And anything you want to say about Motorcycle and Don't Need No Dynamite? Um, for the longest time, I I knew that Billy had written Motorcycle about me, but I didn't know. I'm not very good with words, with lyrics. I, I don't know most of the lyrics of our songs. But I had no idea what this song was about until we recorded it. And then I realized it, was, it really was about me. 
Uh, how do you know a song, Norman, is about you? How do you know a song is about you? Because he, he mentions my googly eye. So I'm the only one that has one. And then at that point, you realize it was about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we are going to hear Motorcycle and then Don't Need No Dynamite. What is that about? I don't know. What is that about? Here, you want to talk to Billy about that? Sure, one? yeah. Okay, hang on. Uh, don't Need No Dynamite. We are going to so, end with that. Yeah, what is that song about? Because we're going to end with Motorcycle and then Don't Need No Dynamite. I think when I wrote Don't Need No Dynamite, I was thinking... Because I'm not a big drug guy, and I'm I'm not I don't drink so much. And I was thinking I do enough stupid stuff on my own. I actually don't need the dynamite to to make it happen. That's what I was thinking when I wrote that. And your son JJ, right? <laughs> JJ, yeah, yeah. He yeah. loves my shirt. Could you describe him loving my shirt? He loves my uh, shirt, doesn't he? So yeah, he's a sports guy, and we went and watched. You and the evaporators play at the all ages show, and then because you know you do a couple of costume changes, but when you came out in the sports jersey, the soccer, uh, I forget what team it is, but then all of a sudden, then he was looking at you like, Oh, that's Nardwar, Nardwar is my guy. <laughs> you and him now have a, a thing in common where, where he you've got the sports shirt and he can relate to that. It never occurred to me that people would love sports gear. Like, there's an unwritten rule for a lot of bands, never wear shorts on stage or never wear that's sports that's gear. Yeah. Uh, so for me to wear a sports jersey on stage, I didn't expect that to be the highlight of the night. That was amazing. And he loved it. But it was a long-sleeve Baron Munich shirt. So it was a yeah. long-sleeve. Does your son like long-sleeve sports shirts, or it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. He loves sports. It doesn't. He doesn't care. There's some teams he doesn't like, but if he likes that team and he sees that you're wearing a shirt or a hat or something from that team, then you guys are buddies. So that is the tip to the people out there listening. Wear sports jerseys and win over a fan. JJ! <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that JJ is listening to you right now, so he'll be excited about that. And shout out to JJ. So right now, we're going to end with Motor Psycho and then play Don't Need No Dynamite. So anything you'd like to add, Billy, to the people out there? Why should people care about the Vicious Cycles Motorcycle Club? And why should people see you in Vancouver tomorrow night at the Buddha? that people should care because it's going to be a real rock and roll night. It's going to be a little bit dangerous. I don't know how or why, but it always ends up being just dangerous enough that you have a good time and you will always remember it. Uh, anything else you'd like to add to the people out there at all, Billy, from the Vicious Cycles Motorcycle Club? Maybe just a thank you. Uh, we're a small time, nothing banned, and Vancouver treats us so good. And when we play, people come out and not just come out, but they come out and they have fun. And so if I'm talking to anybody in Vancouver, I'm just so happy. I'm so happy that they keep coming out and keep having fun with us. Well, thanks so much, Billy, from the Vicious Cycles Motorcycle Club. Keep on rocking in the free world and do 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 do
this town apart now. I'm gonna finish what you started. You're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. And that there was the Vicious Cycles Motorcycle Club with Don't Need No Dynamite. And before that, Motorcycle by the Vicious Cycles. Coming up, an interview with the author, Jesse Locke, of a book all about Simply Saucer, heavy metalloid music. Now, to prepare you for Simply Saucer thought I would play some Hamilton music, namely the Chessmen from Hamilton, Ontario, as well as another saucer band, the Saucers, with What We Do. So here right now on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show, is the band, the Chessmen, with Time Machine. Time Machine!
And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Surfiette Radio Show. And who do we have on the line right now? Hello, are you there, caller? Are you there, caller? I'm here. Who are you? Uh, hi, Nardwar. I'm Jesse. Jesse. Jesse uh, who are you, Jesse Locke? Please explain. Well, I'm the author of a book about Simply Saucer, and I'm also the new drummer in Simply Saucer. Heavily, heavy metalloid music is the name of the book. Did Simply Saucer invent that term, heavy metalloid music? I believe they did, yeah. Edgar said that in his uh, banter at a concert they played on the roof of a shopping mall in Hamilton. Before the their song Illegal Bodies, he said. This next one is some heavy metalloid music. And what year was that that he said that? Because that term had been out there, right? Or right? Uh, how'd, how'd that term been out there? Yeah, I think the term heavy metal had been out there, but uh, yeah, that concert was in 1975 in Hamilton, Ontario. And speaking of Hamilton, Ontario, we just heard the chessmen. How do the chessmen and Time Machine play into the Simply Saucer story? And actually, first off, well, actually, yeah, tell a bit about Simply Saucer. Sure, sure. Well, they were formed in 1973 in Hamilton by a group of record collectors, Edgar Bro, singer and guitarist, Kevin Kristoff, the bassist, uh, a group of friends, Edgar's foster brother, who went by the name Ping Romany. He was kind of the Eno of the band, uh, using electronics. And uh, yeah, they were just a group of guys who formed an amazing band back then and existed throughout the 70s and recorded with Daniel and Bob Lanois, but uh, never really got their due until their album was released for the first time in 1989 by a guy named Bruce the Mole Mowat. And it's the album Cyborgs Revisited, which is now, in my opinion, one of the greatest Canadian garage psych albums of all time. And how do the chessmen that we played fit into the equation? Well, they're one of the uh, you know garage psych mod bands that kind of came in Simply Saucer's wake. Uh, I'd say they're come from the same strange waters bubbling up underneath Hamilton. Uh, and, yeah, I wrote about the Chessmen story in my book as well. And uh, they would go on to form a group called The Gnostics that 
would actually use Simply Saucer's theremin later on in their career in the 90s. So, yeah, there's a strange lineage there. Were there a lot of theremins in Hamilton? I don't think so. I think there might have only been a couple, and that's why two of these bands shared the same one. Now, how did you, Jesse Locke, go from SIDS to SS? <laughs> wow. Well, I can actually thank uh, SIDS, Sudden Infant Dance Syndrome, my old punk band. Uh, Craig Fawner, the singer of that band, he turned me into Simply Saucer back around 2003 when the Sonic Onion CD reissue of Cyborgs Revisited came out. He was the first one who hit me to the band. And, you know, I was an instant fan. And then, 10 years later, I was in Toronto and had the chance to go see Simply Saucer and went up to Edgar after the gig and just said, I want to write something about you guys. And three years after that, it became a book. Craig is to blame. The knots are to blame. The knots are to blame. <laughs> yes. Because Craig, Craig is also in The Knots, right? Uh, I think Craig recorded the most recent Knots album. Yeah, I'm amazed that you know that. That's a pretty deep Calgary. Well, Jesse Locke, it's important to understand and know about you and know about Simply Saucer. It's amazing the history that you've put down in this book documenting a Canadian garage psych band all about Simply, you know, the world about Simply Saucer. Was it hard to convince some editors that, hey, I want to do a book on Simply Saucer, a band that released basically one seven-inch? Well, yeah, thanks so much, Nardor. Um, I have to say, my book was almost finished when I pitched it to my my publishers at Eternal Cavalier Press here in Toronto, and that might have been what swayed them into wanting to do it. Because I think when people propose a book, a lot of the time it's many, many miles down the road. But mine was close to the finish line. Oh, great. But, so you didn't have but, to convince uh, anybody. Yeah, exactly. And I think they just, they love the story as much as I did. So the fact that these guys were playing in high school gymnasiums and on the roof of shopping malls. And a lot of their shows were with like a folk singer and a comedian. And then they would be blasting off with this crazy electro-psych cyborg music. Uh you know, just totally wrong place, wrong time. But then later in the 70s, it would also play with all the Toronto punk bands and Teenage Head and Pirubu and Nashville Flash and things like that. But yeah, like I said, never really got their due until 15 years later. If you did discover Simply Saucer through Craig, who do you think you would write about? Like, who would be God? Like now, Simply Saucer are God to you, Jesse. Who would you pick? <laughs> like, if it wasn't Simply Saucer, who would you pick? If I was to write a second book, you mean? Yeah, would it be about the locust? You know, like, what would the book be about? <laughs> no, if you didn't discover Simply Saucer, who would have been who would have been featured in the book? Oh, you know, I've uh, I've dreamed about writing something longer with the Nihilus Spasm Band. Uh, I got a chance to write some liner notes for a reissue of their first album not too long before this book, and that's kind of what gave me the bug, wanting to write a long-form profile like this. So... Yeah, that's another Canadian band that I love and I think would deserve to have their story told in more detail in a book length, perhaps. You also, and we're speaking to Jesse Locke, the author of Simply Saucer, Heavy Metalloid Music, you also got Gary P. on board. You got Gary the Pig and Bruce the Mole Mowat. How hard was it to win over those souls? Because they have seen everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, actually, Bruce was the very first interview I did for the book. I called him at his house in Grand Prairie, Alberta. And 
we had a lengthy chat over Skype, and that was great, kind of uncovering some early details. You know, he's the one who really made it all happen, putting the album out on his own Mole Records label way back in the day. And uh, yeah, Gary Pitt Gold is, he put out the original 7-inch for the band, and he's just been their longtime champion as well. So I think these guys were really happy to kind of pass some of the responsibility and some of the championing onto me. Well, I knew you were legit because you were in SIDS. Like, you are legit. You were in SIDS. You have been writing. You are legit. You are Jesse Locke. But how did you win over Gary and Bruce? Like, I want to write a book. Okay, sure. You know, like, okay, let's go for it. How did you win them over? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It feels very nice to you say that I'm legit and for you to remember SIDS. But, uh, yeah, those guys, I don't know. I think it's just the fact that I stuck with it and actually finished the thing. That might have been what won them over. I think a lot of people start projects and never see them through till the end. And yeah, I guess that was it. Well, I like that you have footnotes in the book as well. I love the footnotes. Yeah, thank you. I love footnotes too. Why? You know, there's so much. There's more than you can ever say on a page. Sometimes you got to cram it into the space below. That's what I say. Why are there not more pictures in the book? I was just curious about that because in one instance you credit CitizenFreak.com, which is an amazing website, but the only thing you credit them for is a picture of the reissue, which you could have xeroxed yourself. Well, <laughs> you know, Bruce actually asked me to ask you in this interview if you are a member of the the 920 lucky people who own an original Cyborgs Revisited LP, because I was not before I'd completed this book, and that's why I needed to get the scan from Citizen Freak. Uh, I've since acquired my own copy of an original Cyborgs, but the reason why there's not more pictures in there is because there's just not a lot of pictures of the band. Uh, They were not as well documented as they should have been back in the 70s. I love the way that you snuck Julia Holter in there. Yes. I'm a huge Julia Holter fan. Have you sent her a copy of the book? Because she is quoted (laughs) in a Simply Saucer book. Does she know she is quoted? That's a good question. I don't think she does know yet. But uh, the whole idea of turning yourself into a work of art, that's kind of what Edgar did, like living in the band's jam space and just devoting himself to the cyborg music 24-7. I think he kind of turned himself into a cyborg in a way. So I really saw some parallels there with that Julia Holter song. You did a lot of interviews. You must be a good transcriber, or did you only transcribe what is needed? <laughs> no, I spent, well, it's ridiculous to think about how many hours I spent transcribing. I did over 50 interviews for this book, uh, eight of them with Edgar, but just tracking down so many people, uh, hours upon hours of conversations. But, you know, I think that's the only way really to document a lifetime of a band's existence is to get story from as many angles as you can so there's lots of unreleased material there is yeah i guess i could do like a (laughs) simply saucer part two the lost tapes or something but really no one would want to read that this is all the juicy stuff and again we're speaking to jesse Locke, the author of simply saucer heavy metalloid music what year is the cover of the book from oh that's a good question yeah i think that photo I think that's from around 77 or 78. That's uh, in the infamous Saucer House where several of the band members lived. It's uh, up in Edgar's bedroom where, uh, yeah, that mirror and armoire shot was taken. A couple of them are wearing leather jackets with no shirts underneath. It's a pretty hip look. Bruce DeMole Mowat mentions Hamilton 66. And no, I don't have the reissue of Cyborg's re, um, re, 
uh, well, Cyborg. I, I have to. I do not have the reissue of the Cyborg's record, but CITR does have a copy, and that's why I discovered it through CITR and throughout all the promo copies that have been mailed out and all the charting, etc. So yeah, I don't have an actual copy of that record, Dancer Bruce's Question. But I was curious, Bruce mentions about the Velvet Underground playing in Hamilton. How was that important for Simply Saucer? And do you have the poster of them playing in Hamilton? Oh, God, no, I don't have that poster, but I would love a copy. Um, yeah, they played at McMaster University with the Exploding Plastic Inevitable Dancers, uh, they might not have even been called the Velvet Underground at that point. It's so early. And, uh, yeah, David Byers, who was an original member of Simply Saucer when they were kind of a free improv six-piece, he was at that concert. And, uh, yeah, they were all just kind of Velvet freaks, you know. You can really hear it in Simply Saucer's songwriting. And I think, yeah, that influence just pervades it all. Bruce also mentioned the connection to House of Frightenstein. What is the connection between Simply Saucer and the House of Frightenstein? I think anyone growing up watching a show as freaky as that, you know, a children's show, ostensibly, but really just such a strange psychedelic TV show. Anybody watching that would have pretty wacky ideas from an early age, I think. And Edward's dad was not afraid to fight prisoners? Yeah, he was a jail guard, uh, a pretty fearless guy, it sounds like. You know, he would lock himself in the cell and get into a fist fight with these guys who would sometimes have razor blades on them. Yeah, pretty pretty gnarly guy. He was Edward Bro, and uh, the, the name of the like, guitarist was Edward Bro. Was he related at all to Lenny Bro? Because, you know, Lenny Bro is that famous Winnipeg guitarist that Randy Bachman loves. Yeah, that's interesting. They're not related, but uh, Edgar's partner, Kalina, I think she performed with Lenny Bro a number of times in Toronto in the late 70s. So they, you know, there is a Saucer-Lenny Bro connection, strangely enough. You mentioned David Byers. He loved the group 1850 and the Outsiders, or his mom did. That is amazing. Yeah, that's right. I think he was getting mailed all these Dutch psych records uh, from a family member. So he just got into that stuff uh, super early on. And yeah, those are definitely some records most people in Hamilton would not have heard in the 70s, I don't think. It's pretty deep psych stuff. And also, David put bricks on his organ. Could you explain about that? Simply Saucer putting bricks on the organ and leaving. Yeah, this is kind of like their you know, eternal music drone stuff they were doing uh, when they had this rehearsal space above a women's clothing store. They would just make, uh, you know, let the feedback run and put bricks on the keys of the organ. And uh, one time they did that, and they just let the noise swells grow and grow while they went out for a coffee break. And I think it got so loud that people in the neighborhood were just hearing this crazy sound coming out of the space. And when they got back from the coffee break, there was police officers waiting for them. And you know, Edgar's key broke off in the door of the jam space. And I think the immortal line from the cop is something like that. I haven't heard sounds like this since World War II. Is that going to happen when you tour with Simply Saucer? The tour coming up, because you're going to play drums. When you guys finish, is there going to be feedback? What's going to happen on the tour? Yeah, good question. Uh, we, we kick off on the tour tomorrow. Uh, like I said, I'm lucky enough to be playing drums with Simply Saucer now, which is another crazy dream come true. But uh, yeah, we, we're flying to Austin, Texas tomorrow. And then from there, we're cutting across the southern U.S. to cities like New Orleans and Louisville and Lafayette. Memphis and Nashville and Chicago and uh, 
yeah, we don't have any plans to put bricks on our keyboard, but we'll see. Shows could get weird. Edgar was friends with Rocket from the Tombs? That's right. They were pen pals. Uh, Edgar and Craig Bell were both members of the Sid Barrett Appreciation Society. And now, all these years later, Craig is going to be filling in on bass for us uh, for this U.S. tour. So that's what I've been calling it jokingly the Legends of Proto-Punk Tour. And I think that's pretty apt. How will this differ from tours you've done previously? Uh, yeah, well, we've just done some kind of shorter runs. Uh, earlier this summer, I went to the Sled Island Festival in Calgary with Simply Saucer. And then from there, we went to Edmonton and Saskatoon. So that was just kind of a shorter run. This is the first full-on U.S. US uh, trip that I've done with the band, especially the southern U.S. How about with other bands? How does this differ when you play drums with other bands? Yeah, good question. I'll have to find out. Uh, I'm definitely the young gun in Simply Saucer. Everyone else in the group is about 30 years older than me. So we'll have to see. Oh, except for Mike Treblecock from the Killjoys, of course. He's the second youngest gun. But uh, yeah, I'm usually just touring with bands like Tough Age or Century Palm, the other groups that I play with. And we, uh, yeah, you know, similar, similar kind of thing. Playing small gigs across Canada and the U.S. And you are again Jesse Locke, the author of Simply Saucer, heavy metalloid music, a book all about Simply Saucer. And what I find fascinating is Jack Layton's favorite band, The Rabble, the manager of The Rabble, Rick Bissell, was also the manager of Simply Saucer. That's right, yeah. He moved to Hamilton from Montreal and became their manager, and he was the one who put together that strange package tour that they did with the, the folk singer and the stoner comedian. So he had some kind of strange ideas for promoting a band, but uh, yeah, he had worked with some really cool Montreal garage bands before that, like the Rabble that you mentioned. And later on, I think it was, Anne Murray had Jerry Seinfeld open for her. Okay, I didn't know about that. So it isn't kind of like a strange idea for like comedy and rock in that era. It was like Seinfeld opening for Anne Murray. That is incredible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mike um, Harris was the name of one of the fellows in the rabble. And for years, I thought it was Mike Harris, you know, the premier of Ontario, that Mike Harris, the political guy. But it isn't, although Edgar got involved in politics, didn't he? He ran right, against yeah. Mike Harris. He ran against Mike Harris. <laughs> yeah, Edgar did uh, some very brief local politicking in Hamilton in the late 90s. What did he run against? Like, who did he run against and what party was it with? And what is right wing? Was he a right winger? Uh, you know, Edgar's kind of an old school uh, conservative, you know, going back to more like medieval belief systems. Um, yeah, he's got very interesting esoteric politics. Honestly, I think that would be a, a better question for Edgar than for me. I think that would be really interesting for you, Jesse, touring with Edgar, who believes in medieval-style politics. I think you could probably <laughs> get to, back to me in uh, probably like two weeks and find out what exactly it's all about. I think that will tell you right then and right there. And again, we're speaking to Jesse Locke, author of Simply Saucer, Heavy Metalloid Music, a book all about Simply Saucer. Now, who were Saucer rejected by? This is like in like 74... Rick Bissell sent out the demo tape. Who were they rejected by? Apparently, yeah, every every big Toronto record company at the time. So 
I don't know exactly who that would have been, but one of the letters I got just said something like, we do not require the services of your heavy rock group at this time. You know, just very formal. So, yeah, I'm not sure who those labels would have been back then, but, you know, he sent it to everyone in his Rolodex that he had. All no's across the board. Who could have released Simply Saucer at the time? Like, what indies were there to release them? That's a good question, yeah. Uh, Canadian indies doing psych music? Or, uh, yeah, what, 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 what would you say, Nardwari? Maybe you'd have a better idea than I would of the label landscape. Well, I think Attic Records was independent at that time. However, I was thinking, like, speaking of Supreme Echo and Jason Flower, Syphix and Twitch and also Stanley Frank released Seven Inches at that time. How come Mm -hmm. Simply Saucer didn't go that route? Yeah, you know, I think it was Gary's idea. He saw bands in Toronto like The Dishes who were self-releasing their own singles. But way back when, were The Dishes, what year was The Dishes releasing their records? It was like in, wasn't it like 77? Yeah, closer to that time. Like how come in 74, Simile Saucer didn't like Twitch or Syphix or Stanley Frank release a record, you know, really early on their own? I, I mean, I think Edgar and them, just they didn't know that you could do such a thing. You know, like, it's, that's what's kind of astounding to me, seeing those Twitch singles coming out way back then. Like, I think if Edgar, if they would have had the idea, they probably would have, you know, saved up their money and done it. But they just didn't have the thought. I want to love Daniel Lenoir for loving Simply Saucer. However, he hated Simply Saucer, didn't he? <laughs> That's the story I've heard. Yeah, he it was Bob Lanois who was very into the session, but Daniel came home kind of drunk after playing a country gig and put his fingers in his ears. I think he was kind of just like, what is this? Funnily enough, he'd go on to work with Brian Eno like not too long after that, but at the time, Saucer was just too loud and too weird. So Daniel's brother recorded Saucer. What was a bob o <laughs> the bobometer. Oh, yes. Good question. I, I I don't know what that that is. I it's heard something... that the bobometer had two big dials and it was welded shut, so you couldn't get inside. And a lot of people loved the bobometer when you recorded with Bob Lanois. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. That's news to me. Simply Saucer also provided the soundtrack to a street brawl. That's right, yeah. I think one time they had this uh, rehearsal space on Kenilworth Avenue on the east end of Hamilton. This is where Edgar lived for a while. And uh, it's a pretty rough area of town. Um, You know, even recently there was a shooting death there. Uh, Close to the end of my writing of my book, Edgar's talking about this kind of gang murder that happened there. But anyway, at the time they were just having a jam, and at the end of it they looked outside and there was a massive brawl between some gang members and some cops, and they were the soundtrack. Which is kind of strangely fitting, you know? Cyborg music. What's the importance of closets to Simply Saucer? <laughs> I think you're referring to Edgar and the drummer Don Kramer uh, hiding away in the closets of the apartment they lived in together and talking to each other as different characters through the walls of these closets next to each other. Sounds like a strange time. Is that house still there? The saucer house is not there anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, there's uh, some some brief footage of it in the Bulletproof Nothing music video, but the house itself is gone. Should have been a Hamilton landmark, in my opinion, but 
no longer there. And speaking of touring, there was a band fight over a jacket? Uh, oh, I think that's later on, yeah. The uh, 2000s era, Simply Saucer. Um, I think a jacket was left behind at a gig, and some members got into a bit of a tiff over that one. Not sure the exact details. And we're speaking to Jesse Locke, author of Heavy Metalloid Music, a book all about Simply Saucer, and people can actually ask you questions if they want to twit me or tweet me at Nardwar, <laughs> N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R, at Nardwar. Your questions for Jesse Locke, author of Simply Saucer, who will be playing, where are you playing tomorrow night exactly? Uh, so we're playing at the, it's a venue called Beerland, and they have this festival called the Austin Jukebox, so playing that show. It's with the musician Ed Askew, if you know him, kind of a late 60s psych guy. He's returned as well. And uh, some other bands called the Transgressives, and then a guy called P.K. Waddle. So just a pretty interesting cross-section of bands on this bill in Austin. I mentioned before Bruce the Mole Mowat and Gary Piggold, totally important people in the history of Simply Saucer, as are you exactly. And we're speaking to Jesse Locke, author of Heavy Metalloid Music. But what attracted Gary to Simply Saucer in the first place? It was like the Kinks doing Kinks covers? Yeah, there's a concert in Toronto called the 3D Concert. Uh, the Diodes, the Doncasters, and the Dishrags. And one of those bands covered the kinks. And I think Gary's partner in, the, in his zine, the pig paper, looked back and him and Edgar started talking about it. And from there, they traveled to Hamilton to interview Edgar just all about his fandom of the kinks, actually. There's like a full-page interview with Edgar, his first time ever in print. Uh, true kink confessions, you know, and he's talking about stealing his sister's kinks 45s and calling in bomb threats to the local radio station if they don't play the new Kinks singles and stuff like that. Uh, so originally it was the Kinks that drew them together, but I think Edgar sort of sprung Simply Saucer on Gary as well when he visited him in Hamilton that time. They just so happened to be in the basement rehearsing when he arrived, and they gave him kind of a surprise taste of his own band. And it actually was a five-hour interview with Gary Pigold for the Pig Paper. A five-hour interview. <laughs> yeah, if you can imagine, five hours just about the kinks. Um, I could, but I could imagine Edgar doing that back when he was a, you know, in his teenage years. Very enthusiastic man, I'm sure. And we have a question for you, Jesse Locke, author sure. of Heavy Metalloid Music about Simply Saucer. Can Jesse please explain Bug Busters? <laughs> oh, wow. Is this question coming from my brother? Yes. Sincerely, <laughs> his little big bro. <laughs> Peter Locke. So Bug Busters, uh, as a kid, I was not allowed to watch Ghostbusters, the movies, so I created my own version, a comic book called Bug Busters. And it was kind of the same idea, except for these guys were fighting giant insects. And yeah, there you go. Bug Busters immortalized on the radio. And you've always been a writer, like way back when. Yeah, I've been writing short stories and comics and things like that my whole life. So hard to, hard to get away from this stuff. And Gary was sprung... Um, he found out about Simply Saucer through Edgar. He raised the money, Gary, when he put out the 7-inch. 
by gardening? Like he put out a seven inch by Simply Saucer through through gardening revenues? Yeah, I think they were, uh, you know, just doing Gary and Don Kramer, the drummer, were doing odd jobs around the neighborhood. I actually have one of the original flyers that they made for like cleaning up people's drains and mowing their lawns and gardening and things like that. And I guess they also had a raffle to get raise some money selling radios and things like that. So by hook or by crook, they made the money for that single. How much of the Cyborg LP put out in, like, 89 by Bruce DeMole Mullet was Simply Saucer playing when Gary saw Simply Saucer play? That era, like, for instance, the Forgotten Rebels era, when they were playing with the Forgotten Rebels, how much was Simply Saucer playing of their older material from the Cyborg LP that was released? Uh, yeah, the, the band kind of changed a little bit. Uh, Steve Sparky Park, an original member of Teenage Head, joined Simply Saucer in the late 70s. And they went into more of a kind of power pop meets the modern lovers direction. Uh, there's all these bootlegs, actually, that not many people have heard with all these unreleased Simply Saucer songs. And, uh, you know, Steve is singing and the drummer Don Kramer is writing some songs. And it's kind of different. They're doing a bunch of covers, um, doing Poison Ivy and stuff like that. So it's a little different, but the material that made its way into Cyborgs and that Carrie would have heard, that's that's the original stuff. That's the heavy stuff. Does it represent them in the punk era? Like, for instance, if I did see Simply Saucer way back when, would I be excited by the 89 reissue of the 74 Sessions? I think it really, almost like year by year, Saucer was really changing so much. Uh, if you would have seen them in 75, it would have been really heavy, extended jams, electronic freakouts from Ping Romany. And then, you know, 77, you might have seen the more kind of power pop. So uh, when Thurston direction. Moore of Sonic Youth shouts out Simply Saucer, what era does he like? I would, I would imagine probably the cyborg stuff. That's probably what he would have heard. You know, uh, the story goes that, or not the story goes, this is true because I've heard a recording of it. Uh, Sonic Youth opened for Neil Young in Hamilton in 1991, and they devoted a song to Simply Saucer. And I guess earlier that day, they'd all bought Cyborg's LPs from Bruce Mowat at Mole Records, where he worked. So, yeah, they were big Saucer fans back then. Now, Simply Saucer also released She's a Dog, and you mentioned the Primitives and the Ostrich, some early Lou Reed Pickwick productions. Did Simply Saucer know about Lou Reed? At that time, did they know about the ostrich or the, the primitives? Yeah, that's a good question. They definitely knew about Lou Reed, but I don't know if they were aware of his early kind of jokey projects like that. Do the ostrich uh, being, I think, kind of like a strange kind of mean novelty number, uh, I would say pretty similar in spirit to She's a Dog. You mentioned members of Simply Saucer, Jesse Locke, and we're speaking to Jesse Locke, the author of Heavy Metalloid Music, a book all about Simply Saucer from Hamilton, from Hamilton, Ontario. What were the other members of Simply Saucer up to in later years? For instance, Don Kramer, he moved to Vancouver. Was he in other bands? Or was, uh, was it Don Kramer? Uh, it is Don Kramer. Was he in other bands? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know if Don actually went on to play in any other groups. The only band that I know of that he was in was Simply Saucer. But yeah, he was their drummer throughout the end of the 70s and a really hard-hitting guy with a gigantic drum kit. What have uh, other members of Saucer gone on to? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, 
King Romany also has kind of dropped out of music. Uh, he was kind of my white whale trying to track him down for an interview because he's never given an interview, actually. You mentioned and, also something about a balloon manufacturer. He is a balloon manufacturer? These are the strange rumors circulating about him. Yeah, he worked at a, a balloon, a place where they made balloons. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just something I heard. I would be given phone numbers where he lived and would leave voicemails and things like that. And uh, yeah, strangely enough, like when I ran into Thurston Moore myself in the streets of Hamilton during the Super Crawl Festival where he was playing a couple of years back, mentioned to him I was working on the book. His first question to me was, have they found Ping Romany yet? And, you know, as of this book coming out, we still have not found Ping. So maybe lost for good. What happened to his keyboard, the cool keyboard that he used? I think he sadly just hawked all that stuff. I think uh, all of his gear went into pawn shops in the, in the late 70s, unfortunately. The Simply Saucer house you mentioned before, what was the house like? Like, for instance, like invited people, uninvited people <laughs> dropped by. You know, they were, were they picked on? Was the house picked on? You know, like, oh. That's the saucer house. Let's pick on it. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Like people would drop by the house that they didn't even know. Yeah, it was kind of a party house. I think like, you know, sometimes seven nights a week, there'd be people hanging out there, drinking, partying, doing their thing. And they would get some uninvited guests. Uh, one time, I think some of Simply Saucer's roadies stole the Vile Tones liquor. And Steve Leckie came after them. And uh, Don Kramer had to scare off Steve Leckie, Nazi dog. Uh, yeah, so all kinds of weird stuff was going on in the Saucer House. But also, rehearsals every night of the week. Seven nights a week, Simply Saucer jamming, just getting tighter than any other band on the scene. For instance, Edgar not always was doing music. When he worked at Union Electric, how scary was that? Yeah, that sounded pretty scary, too. Uh, you know, it was pretty dangerous or like a, you know, danger-adjacent kind of employment, uh, just like heavy heavy metal of the other kind being carried around. And uh, that's kind of when Edgar had to get back to reality after the band broke up. He had to enter the workforce again and kind of try to make his way in the world. And I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for him. There's lots of mentions of the Baytides Cafe. Yeah, that would be when Edgar kind of came back. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, he kind of reinvented himself as a John Fahey-style acoustic guitar you know finger picking psych rocker and yeah a lot of those gigs went down at bay tides sounded like it was sort of a hot spot at the time off the top we played the chessman i did not know that dan from the chessman from hamilton squatted with my bloody valentine that's right yeah i think he spent some time uh maybe in the late 80s with a couple members of mbv and then came back to hamilton and Brought some of that influence to form his next band, The Gnostics. Pretty awesome psych band from the 90s in Hamilton. On page 182, Sean Palmerston actually, thank you, gives me props. You mentioned me, Jesse. Yes, of course. How could it be a, a book about you know Canadian underground culture without Nardwar? You had to be in there. But I learned everything from CITR Radio. As I mentioned, Bruce the Momoet was kind enough to send the copy of Cyborgs to CITR. I heard it. I did, later on, through the kindness of Gary Pig Gold, get two copies of the Simply Saucer 7-inch Mint. 
Yeah, there you go. Because because Gar- Gary has kept because Gary has kept everything, hasn't he? He really has his his archives and the uh, pig pig paper HQ. It's really immaculate. You know, a lot of the material that I got for the book was scanned from Gary's personal archives. So I can't thank him enough. He was really like the you know just such an incredible source of knowledge and just keeping me going with the project too. I would check in with Gary every month or so and give him updates. And yeah, all these guys feel like family now. It's it's really being great. And Gary's like, archives know. are like mint. Like the posters he sends <laughs> are like mint, and yet they're from '77 or '74. Really old. It's wild. Yeah, I don't I don't understand how. I don't know what he's doing to keep this stuff that crisp, but he's doing it. So Gary sent me two copies of the Simply Saucer 7-inch. Now, what could I get price-wise for those two copies? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know exactly how rare they are in the record-selling market. Oh, pardon me. But, yeah, they're, uh, you know, they're kind of scarce. They're hard to come across nowadays. Only a few left in the wild. So hold on to them. Well, actually, it was a few years ago he sent them to me, and I am not a collector scum, although I kind of am a collector (laughs) scum, but I thought I would keep one copy for myself, and I would give the other copy to Jello Biafra. So I showed up at Jello's gig and gave him a Simply Saucer record. Wow, and what did he say? Was he aware of the band before that? I already have this. (laughs) Of course. And I was like, ah! And like a true collector scum, he still took it because collector <laughs> scum can always use two copies. So therefore, Nardwar the Human Serviette only has one copy. But I would like to thank you for shouting me out and Sean Palmerston for shouting me out as well. Because, yes, I have tried to spread the love of the genius of Sibley Saucer to other people. But it seems like people are catching up, like you're doing this entire tour. It's amazing. Like, peop- are people catching up to Simply Saucer? Finally. I think so. Yeah, it's amazing to see. There's fans in New Orleans and uh, Chicago and Detroit and places like that. There's always been fans, and uh, it's really cool. I'm, if I'm doing anything in any small way to spread the gospel of the saucer, I'm doing what I can. So where will you be going on this tour coming up? Because, again, you are playing drums for Simply Saucer. Where are you going exactly if people are listening right now and want to check you out live? And will sure, you have yeah, well, copy of the book? Will, will there be copies of the book at the merch table? Yes, absolutely. I've uh, mailed a box of books down to Texas, so those are waiting for me. Um, so we're going to Austin tomorrow night, then New Orleans, Memphis, Nashville, Louisville, Lafayette, Chicago and ending up in Bloomington. A t-shirt caused Simply Saucer to reunite a t-shirt from Radio X shop? I think that's, uh, yeah, there was a, they were making some replicas of the old vintage Simply Saucer shirts and Edgar saw those. And this is after the uh, Cyborgs Revisited CD reissue had come out, but this is what finally got Edgar to get back on stage and play with the band again. A t-shirt. Yeah, just, you know, I think uh, several other bands were reuniting around that time, and Edgar was just like, okay, people want it, we should do it. What are the plans for the future for new Simply Saucer music? Funny you ask, actually. Uh, We've recorded two brand new songs, and 
Those are coming out. This is an exclusive for you, Nardwar. Those are coming out on a new 45 from Label Obscura sometime in 2018. We are going to end now, Jesse Locke, with Simply Saucer doing Jesse Locke doing Electro Rock. That kind of rhymes. Can you, what can you say about that particular track? This is live at Trenton, Ontario High School. Simply Saucer played a lot of high school gigs, didn't they? They did, yeah. That's strangely uh, where Rick Bissell would book them a lot of the time. And a lot of principals didn't really like their gigs so much because people, people didn't want to dance to it. But this version of Electro Rock, I think this is kind of the definitive live version that I've ever heard and this was released for the first time with my book on the compilation that came out with it and it's pretty insane the drumming uh, was by their 15 year old drummer at the time this guy Tony Kutaya and to me it just sounds a lot like Jackie Liebezeit from Can, just holding down this insane groove and while Edgar's just losing his mind on vocals almost like a Damo Suzuki kind of thing it's like a real spirit of Can and Krautrock in there but uh, yeah electro rock it's almost like their theme song you know because Simply Saucer was using electronics, uh, oscillators and signal generators and theremins and Moogs and things like that before many other bands were. So Electro Rock is almost like a song about what they were doing. So kids showed up to the high school dance expecting what? Uh, Yeah, who knows? Covers, uh, rock and roll songs they would recognize, but instead they got Electro Rock. On April the 18th, 1975, how was this preserved? Uh, this was actually recorded on a reel. Um, yeah, Simply Saucer would record a lot of their gigs on a Tanberg reel. And this was digitized for the first time for my book. So uh, this might be the first time it's ever been played on the radio, in fact. So that's kind of cool. We're also going to play the saucers doing what we do. What is the connection between Simply Saucer and the saucers, what we do? And what can you say about the saucers? Yeah, that was uh, Cleveland's Craig Bell, uh, a group he formed after Rocket from the Tombs. Uh, Funnily enough, also called Saucers. He was corresponding with Edgar Bro at the time, and they just both had this idea of saucers in their head, I guess, and this was a seven-inch they put out at the time, and I just love this song. I had to put this on the comp for the book, too. And we also might play Simply Saucer, Gonna Throw It All Away. What can you say about that live at Lloyd D. Jackson Square in Hamilton, June yeah. 28th, 1975? I love that song, too. It's another live cut. It's from the, the roof of the shopping mall, uh, but a part of that concert that's never been heard before. You know, there's only a certain number of songs from that live concert that were picked for Cyborgs Revisited, but soon enough, In the Red is doing this double LP reissue of Cyborgs, and the full Jackson Square concert is going to be on vinyl for the first time, and this song, Gonna Throw It All Away, is from that, and I really like it. It's kind of like another side of Saucer, uh, you know, almost like a warbly, hardcore Devo kind of thing. So how many how many times has Saucer, Simply Saucer, been reissued? Because, again, Sean Palmerston, thanks, was from Sonic Onion, and there was Bruce DeMole Mowat, and now you were saying In the Red? Yeah, In the Red, uh, sometime in 2018, I believe. Uh, that'll be kind of the definitive double LP version. I was lucky enough to write the liner notes for that set that's coming out, too. So, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how many times the album's been reissued, but this next one on In the Red, it should be... The one, the one to get. And where have you seen Simply Saucer pop up? Like bands have covered Simply Saucer. Where have you seen Simply Saucer pop up? 
Oh, in strange places, you know. Uh, we found out recently that members of the Grateful Dead are simply saucer fans. They own cyborgs. So there's one that I would never expect. And Ty Seagull has covered cyborgs as well, right? That, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He covered Bulletproof Nothing for a single, uh, the B-side of a single. Really cool. And Simply Saucer got to play the Ty Seagull after party a couple years ago. So, yeah, that Did... connection was made. It's nice to see. Where was that? In Toronto at the Smiling Buddha. It's a great gig. And he actually came to the after party. Yeah, he was there. Yeah, Edgar and Ty took a picture together. So they've met. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you phoning in to the Nerdwar, the human serviette radio show, Jesse Log, author of a book all about Simply Saucer entitled Heavy Metalloid Music and Czech Jesse playing drums for Simply Saucer at a gig near you if, you, if you're in the United States of America. Any plans to come out to Vancouver? People keep asking us that. Uh, yeah, Jason Flowers from Supreme Echo, who you mentioned earlier, he really wants to set up a Vancouver or Victoria saucer gig. So, yeah, hopefully sometime in 2018 we can make that happen. With we Twitch! With Twitch! <laughs> yes, please. I would love that. A- anything you should like to add? Anything you would like to add, Jason? Uh, anything you would like to add, Jesse? <laughs> Not really. You know, Narva, I just uh, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, I've been a fan, you know, mutually of you for many years. So this is a thrill to get to do this. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. And why should people care about Simply Saucer, Jesse? Why should people care? Uh, simply put, there's no band from Canada that's ever been like them. Uh, if you've never heard Cyborg Revisited, go out and hear it today. It's, it's the best. And here we have from Trenton, Ontario, April the 18th, 1975, a reel-to-reel recording of Simply Saucer doing electro-rock. And check out heavily metalloid music by Jesse Luck. Well, thanks very much, Jesse. Keep on rocking in the free world and do-do-loo-do. Do-do.
Some people, they play tennis. And others go to 